G'day everyone and welcome to Knife Making Down Under Podcast, Episode 7. Thanks for having us in your workshops today, it's really appreciated, and um, or in your car, or on your travel to and from your real job, or, or wherever you're listening to us. Um, this is uh, our seventh episode, and uh, we have a few interesting things to talk about today, like dust, and uh, uh, we have some new sponsors... We're going to talk a bit about the symposium, Australian Blade Symposium and some shows that are coming up as well. So stay tuned and uh, uh, we hope you'll enjoy it. Just to introduce the presenters, first up we've got uh, Kev Slattery of Kev's Forge. Kev's been making knives for uh, about three and a half weeks and he's, he's doing all right. Uh, actually, probably closer to, um, what is it, Kev, seven years, six years? Six, seven years, somewhere around so, that, yeah. Something like that. And he's running out of Canberra. Uh, he uh, c- cut his teeth running classes and courses with, uh, with Thawa Valley Forge. But he's out on his own now, and uh, he runs a mean class down in, uh, down in Canberra. So you can uh, get in touch with Kev if you're interested in doing a course in knife making. You've also got Mert Tanzu. Mert, well, Mert's an executive chef, so... Most executive former form, former executive former. chef. <laughs> the, the, sec, the second you get off the industry, man, all your steel credit is gone. Oh. You're you're in you're in the bottom. You're like used to be a cook, used to be a chef. So yeah, former former executive chef. He's been ousted from the industry as he became a knife maker, which means that he makes weapons. No, probably not. Actually, um, Mert makes awesome kitchen knives, some of the best uh, best in the world. He's been to. Uh, exhibit in shows all over the world including uh, invitationals in chef knife making so really really first class chef knife maker and um, I myself Corin am basically a knife maker for since 2002 I guess I'm going to say that's when I made my first one however I'm not the most prolific knife maker in the world I do however supply the industry and uh, have been influential in various uh, running the various events and, of course, the Knife Art Association and participate in the Knife Makers Guild and so on. So I've been around for a long time in the industry to some degree. So, so guys, what's been happening? Oh, do you remember last week I was talking about the knife handle that gave me a lot of trouble? So I was talking, I was referring to that knife handle as a, um, Salvador Dali because it was all different angles and it was it was not right so I put that handle aside I said okay it's a nice Tasmanian black uh, blackwood it's gone I'm just gonna make a new one I made another handle now I realized the handle is not very proportionate with the blade so I put that handle aside and yesterday I made the third handle okay so I glued it but when I came back, I realized the blade wasn't very the, the blade wasn't mounted very straight. So I broke that handle. Now I'm on to my fourth handle for this knife. I really want to finish this knife without fucking up any more handles. Or otherwise I'm gonna break the knife. It's the dickhead who's making the handle. It's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been, Kev? How's your finger? Yeah, my thumb's coming along all right. Um, you know, the doctors have given me the go-ahead just to get back into the workshop, which is good. Um, 
like the thing that I've found is the thing I've mentioned the other day is when you don't have a thumbnail and you go to pick things up, you get this real weird experience where the whole thumb moves. You don't have that solid backing of a nail there. So I'm kind of picking things up and, and, and thinking that I'm doing something bad to my thumb because it's kind of all squishy rather than solid. But, you know, eventually it'll start to grow back. Um, I think I'm on the, I'm on the positive end of the whole thing now, which is like I said, just getting back into it, keep it, try and keep it clean, which we know is um, a difficult thing in, uh, a workshop. Uh, you know there, that so, you need your thumbnail to pick your nose cap. Well, I've, I've swapped over to the left hand. <laughs> I've got a few scratches in the nostril. I'm a bit, not quite good, as good picking my nose with my left hand as I am with my right hand. But I'm getting really good at... No, I won't travel there. Everyone knows what I was about to say. I'm good at, with my left hand now. <laughs> um, so, no, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm turning into a happier fella. Um, I'm, I'm in my workshop again. Um, and I'm getting things, getting a few things done. I'm basically um, going through the list of things that I had to put off doing, realizing it's it's a fairly large amount of work that I've got to try and get back on top of. Um, but at least I'm going to be in there doing it. So no, all good. What about you, Corin? Ah, uh, mate, flat out this week. Um, uh, <laughs> been flat out. Just uh, getting ready to go. Obviously offshore. Um, heading over to the Paris knife shows, so uh, I've got a lot to do before I before I can go. So, yeah, that's that's the main thing for me. But one thing that came up for me that I saw this week, guys, was the Sydney knife show video. Uh, I was absolutely oh, yeah. how good was that? Yeah, absolutely blown away, mate. It's uh, it's like twenty something minutes of of uh, of footage and interviews, and I spoke to Jim Jim Cooper about it. He reckons it's one of the most energetic energetic videos he's seen in a long time and I could only agree yeah I, I saw my ugly face on there <laughs> um, it, it was a good thing actually to have that chance to have a bit of a chat with um, Toby um, yeah I really enjoyed it I reckon uh, well obviously we'll talk about where people can see that um, but yeah it sort of to me it just it made me want to watch more and you know if i I guess it's hard to say, but if I wasn't involved in the knife show, I guess it would really make me want to be there and see what it's all about because it was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw myself in the video. Guys, when people say camera has 10 kilos, no. Camera has 20 kilos, okay? 30 <laughs> kilos, mate, 30. <laughs> yeah, well, looking back, prep for knife show was stressful and I wasn't eating well and I can definitely see, like, I, I look tired, I look stressed and... I look rather plump, let's say. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, it, wasn't just, uh, it wasn't the camera that I'm did that. Gonna... It was. It was the keg of beer on the Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say no excuses. I'm just a fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. Uh, look, it was a great. It was a great show, and it was really good to go back and flash back and look at that. I'm in it too. I've. You'll see me there with the paper wheel sharpening system. I'm carving up a bit of paper, but um, that was me. So those that don't know me. And um, yeah, look, it was it was really good. All credit to the Knife Art Association for uh, another great uh, another great um, promotional video, I reckon. Yeah, it was a being in the being involved in the Knife Art Association. Um, you know, we had to make the choice whether we were going to um, you know hire someone and take ownership of that, or whether we were just going to get link up with. Um, you know, another show or another organisation. So I, I reckon we did the right thing because 
um, it's really professional. So we'll put shout outs to um, the guys that were involved and um, link them up on the website too, uh, up on the Facebook page and, and Instagram. No, excellent, excellent. Um, the Knife Art Association sometimes gets called a bit of a secret society. They're the, the people, for those in the, that aren't aware, that are in the industry, they're the people that are behind a, uh, a bunch of shows. And I think all three of us are members of the Knife Art Association. Mert, you're a member, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep, okay, well, that's all three of us, so we're, we're all members. Um, membership, membership of the Knife Art Association has got uh, uh, nothing at all to do with... Um, like getting anything in return and and that's that's one of the beauties of it it's just a whole bunch of people that are working together in a not-for-profit association to to basically run events in australia so the sydney knife show the perth knife show the queensland knife show and the australian blade symposium are all events run by the knife art association i just wanted to that's right i just wanted to i'm just desperately looking for the questions because people do ask how to join and i'm just going on to their website and um uh you know i'll just read the questions out if uh, if that's okay because it's i think it's important um you know so what the first question is why do you want to join the knife art association that's pretty simple what skills do you think think you sorry do you feel you bring to the knife art association that the committee should know when uh, about during its during its consideration and those skills aren't being able to make knives they're things like um uh they're things like, um, uh, you know, how you can promote access to media, how good you are at social media, things like that. Um, do you, yeah. The next whether, question: whether you've been involved in, whether you've been involved in, um, you know, fundraising and other um, sort of um, things like, you know, I guess helping out other not-for-profit organisations is always a key thing that we're after. So is there a good volunteer? Absolutely, absolutely. And we, you know, we have, uh, we absolutely have to um, generate funds to uh, to promote. You'll see, we're the only shows in Australia that buy billboards. We put our ad advertisements on radios and so forth. So, you know, it all that all costs money. The billboards, you know, ten thousand dollars. We'll put a billboard up for three weeks, for four weeks in Sydney. Um, radio advertising is about the same. So, you know, that adds up real quick. So there's a lot of fundraising going on behind the scenes. Um, the next one's, uh, do you agree to work for the industry? Contribute your time free of charge to help and run and promote the events and the industry? So yes or no answer. The next one is, do you understand that the association does not provide anything to its members including but not limited to <laughs> no newsletter, no discounted entry fees, no early entry, nothing. This is an association you give to and not get anything back from. So that's a yes or no answer. And the last one is, do you agree to pay an association a fee of $50 a year for the privilege of being a member? Again, yes or no answer. So, it, it, you know, it, Knife Art Association is not for anyone, everyone, but anybody that feels they have something to contribute uh, should probably consider it. I mean... You're doing it for your industry, nothing else. Um, yeah, so that was that. But anyway, um, you were oh yeah, sponsorship of the show, of the show competition as well, um, was Dharma Steel, and in recognition of that, for the next f say four weeks, Gamaco is going to have a Gamaco Artisan Supplies are going to have a ten percent discount code for listeners of this podcast down under ten. It is for any. 
Um, anybody that wants Dharma Steel products, any of their beautiful stainless steel Damascuses, RWL34 uh, Martin Siddick stainless steel, high-quality high stainless steel, uh, any of those products, if you just put down under 10 on the Gamaco Artisan Supplies website, in theory, it'll give you 10% off any of those products. And some of them are already discounted, so you'll get further discounts on what's already there. Uh, Mert, you've um, you've actually been to a Dharma Steel show, haven't you? I was invited for the last two years for the Dharma Steel Chef Invitational. Uh, this year, I couldn't go... Well, this year, I couldn't even submit a knife due to my time constraints, but first year, I managed to send a knife to present myself. Uh, it's a show... It's a show organized by Damasteel, and so they're mainly focusing on the chef knives and the chef knife makers. So I was a part of it. And I use Damasteel quite a bit in my knives as well. It's the, it's the if, if not the best, one of the best stainless Damascus in the market by far. And it's super easy to heat treat, um, assuming that you have a nice kiln. And grinds beautifully and finishes up perfectly. Yeah. Um, how hard is it to forge, man? Uh, if so, Damasteel sells um, stock that already has the pattern on. Okay, those are straight stock removal. But if you were to get the DS93X, I think that's what they call the the bars, like the round bars. They are very hard to forge. So when people, when I hear people complaining how hard it is to forge 50 to 100, Damasteel or any kind of stainless steel is a lot harder to forge than that. Yeah. Is it is it true that you've got to um, measure the size of your balls <laughs> and see if they're big enough to actually qualify to forge damascus steel? Because it, it's not like it's awesome steel, but let's be honest here, it's not a cheap product. So you're investing a shitload into doing that, and obviously, like anything you do, there's a risk involved. So I just want to say you've got a huge set of gazoolies, mate, because um, for, forging that steel is next level. It might be in a in a reverse correlation with the size of my brain because when you're heating up a eight hundred dollar piece of steel with the possibility of if I fuck up that's an eight hundred dollar worth of crumbling uh, forge flakes yeah that's a you might call it brave someone might call it not so smart but if you can forge an integral out of it it looks awesome I think no absolutely yeah you absolutely. had one you had one at the show that was awesome I reckon yeah. so, I was happy with that one. What was that, sorry? I was happy with that one. I yeah, was quite yeah. happy. You should have been, mate. No, it was lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah, lovely, lovely. So, uh, yeah, that was the Sydney show. Well, actually, with the Damas deal, we should say that there was also um, a new category, and that's what Mert ended, which was for the best Damas deal knife. Um, that, that's one that we haven't had before. And, um, you know, like I said, seeing the quality and calibre of the stuff that was put in there, um, was pretty cool. Like that's, like I said, the investment. When you look at that table, um, thousands and thousands of dollars worth of um, of that awesome steel was presented, and some really good quality knives as well. Yeah, there was uh, there was some beautiful beautiful knives on that table for sure. Um, that the winner of that category was Dimitri Popoff, correct? DP Customs. Yeah. Yeah. So, what did you think of that knife, Mert? That was a chef knife, DP Customs. We've lost him. Nah, he's fallen off his chair. All right, just a minute. <laughs> just call back in. 
He's probably not running the fucking car. <laughs> yeah. He just he just doesn't want to talk about Dimitri winning the comp. Sorry, maybe I maybe I maybe I went somewhere I wasn't supposed to go. How's the fucking, how's the fucking timing on that? It was pretty <laughs> no awesome. comment. No comment at all, mate. He's dropped us. I'm looking at an airbag sign. That's it. Oh shit! Something's going on there. Maybe he did turn the car on and leave it running with the doors closed. Maybe he's, gas- <laughs> he's gasping for air. <laughs> Can you he hear us? Nope. <laughs> I uh, anyway. So Mert wasn't real happy with that knife. We'll say something. Something. Ah, there Way he's back. back. <laughs> <laughs> so. There we go. So, All yeah, right. what were we saying? Oh, yeah, I was talking about the knife that won, Mert. Dimitri's knife. Was I, was I treading on some toes there, mate? We thought maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't have asked that question. That's why you run off. And you talked about the new category. Yep. And then, yep. I, and then I mentioned that um, the winner of that category was uh, DP Customs. I wondered if you had a chance to have a look at his knife. No, honestly, I didn't look, man. Mert, you talked about kilns. Uh, when you were talking, yes. we were talking about Paragon and having a good kiln. Um, yes. We're pushing pretty hard to get some sponsorship for this podcast from a company called Paragon. And by the time this video is released, hopefully we'll have some. Um, Paragon is a uh, is a pretty, I mean, I, I'm going to speak very highly of them because I've dealt with them since 2013. You guys both use Paragon kilns, yeah? Yes, yes. I use Paragon. Yep. Um. Have you guys had a look at other kilns out there? What are your thoughts on Paragon? Well, I'm running one of the older um, 18D kilns, um, and I, I like it. it it's I, I've got the old school push push pad non graphic one where I've got to you know press the numbers, press enter, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it it works fine. Um, there were some there were some issues that were raised. I know amongst people that own them um, and one of the things which I really put credit to the company Paragon for um, was that they invested the time to find fixes for that problem I, I, I kind of got lucky I think I've, I've put the um, you know the probe in mine and it's, it's running really even um, heat all through the um, forge so I must have got lucky could build that day or whatever but um, yeah really cool I like the look of their new kilns I really do that's the professional series, right? Yeah, the pro Correct, series. Correct. Yeah. yeah, I have the 24D, which has the controls that you're talking about, Kev. That's the one with the digital controls and touch screen. The best feature about that one is I've loaded all of my steels and my programs. So let's say I'm finishing up a work at night, let's say 10 o'clock, and I can go into my kiln and hit the button for saying, okay, tomorrow I want to heat 352 100. Yeah, I can also relay the delay the starting time. So let's say I'm saying start in 10 hours. Then I come back in the morning, my kiln would have started and it'll be at the temperature that I want. So that's one of the best features about that one, the new ones. You can, yeah, get yeah, the nice. delayed start. The, the, the current model, well, the current model is what you've got, Mert. And uh, the new series is called the Pro Series. And the Pro Series answers a lot of, a lot of knife making requests. Like they've, Paragon have really sat down and listened to what everybody wants. And basically what they've come up with is a kiln that gets hot in 15 minutes. That is, it genuinely gets, you plug it in, you turn it on, 15 minutes later, you're ready to heat treat. 
insanely fast. The second thing is with any of the normal style of kilns, when you open and close the door, uh, unfortunately, the front of the kiln cools down. And so you have to wait for the thermocouple to get hot. Uh, to, to The thermocouple will register that it needs to heat and it'll put more heat into the kiln, which inevitably uh, either overheats the back or, or um, just causes unevenness of heat. So with the new kilns, we run zone control. So there's a thermocouple in each zone. When you open the door and close the door, the front gets cold. It only heats the front of the kiln. And it does it very, very quickly. So some people wait five minutes for the temperature to re-equalise in their kiln after they close the door. With the Pro Series kilns, it's very quick back up to even temperature. Obviously, if it goes cold to hot in 15 minutes, you're talking only a couple of minutes to get back to an even consistent temperature, which makes a difference when you've got steels in there, particularly if you're running uncoated. Not that most people do that, but if you do have uncoated steel, you want them in there for as short a time as possible. So that's um, yeah. that's Paragon. Paragon are uh, you can buy them obviously from Gamaco Artisan Supplies, and uh, good products. We were going to we were going to we got some questions about people asking what sort of belts and what kind of belt progressions we go through because a lot of people see the blades being finished and all hand sanded, but many people are wondering how we get there. So yeah, like hand hand sanded satin finish looks good, but you also have to start at some point. So I was getting some questions about our belt progressions. At the shed talk, I wanted to ask Kev about his shed, as his belt progression, how he grinds them, what does he use, and which belts he go through. Yeah, cool. Um, I use, or I have used, like a range of different belts as I've gone through, um, especially with getting what's available in Australia over you know that last sort of seven years or so that I've been making knives. Um, and I have to say that the ones that I like the best uh, and I'm sticking with um, are the Norton Blaze Belts. Um, they, they were kind of like that um, change from using standard sandpaper from Bunnings to discovering uh, Rhino Wet, for me anyway. So the other thing with those that I like is um, you run your grinder as fast as you possibly can to get the cleanest and even cuts out of them. So I, I use blaze belts, uh, 50 grit and 100 grit. And I should yep. let people know I'm using the, I use the um, Shopmate 48s and a Radius Master 48, two by 48s. So I'm using that size belt um, with the, predominantly with the Norton range. So I use the 50 grit for my, um, pre-heat treat stuff when I'm using my carbon steels. Um, I normally just give them a quick run over on 100 grit to get down some of those bigger scratches uh, before mm -hmm. heat treat. And then post-heat treat, when I come back to them, I'm using, um, depending on the thickness of the blades when I heat treat, um, I'll either start with 50 again, fresh 50 grit belts again, so they cut clean um, and lower temperature. And then I'll progress up to 100 grit and then quite often, I, recently, I've started using the, um, what are they, the Cubitrons? I'm still sort of getting my hand around what I'm using those. I think it's the A45, which is like the 300-odd grid. Oh, Cerax. Norax. Cerax ones. Is Norax? Cerax. Using Cerax? What's Norax. that? Norax. 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 Yeah, there you go. That's how new they are. I'm using them and I like them. For so, me, though, I, I go from... I go from the 50s and then the 100s 
then give them a quick clean up with the other ones, the Norax, and then I go to my disc with Sam, uh, my disc with um, RhinoWare. So, yeah, my progression is not much different than yours. I use blaze belts as well. I mean, I use ceramic belts in the past, like different brands, or I use aluminum oxides. Uh, well, blaze belts go through steel, and you can see like steel disappearing in front of you. And especially if you're doing full thickness stainless, like hard stainless steels, and you need a hog of a lot of material, that comes very handy. And as you said, same thing. I start with the 50 or 60 grit on blaze belt, Norton blaze, then I go to 120 to get rid of the scratches. And with those Norax belts, uh, I've been using them for the last two years, and I saw them at first at Bill Burke's shop. The best advantage of them are they are a little, they are thicker belts. So unlike the, um, so unlike the other soft, like the high grade belts, they're really, they got a lot of abrasive on them, and you can't push. If you have like a little thin belt like the J Flex, I mean they're great for rounding things, but if you push on J Flex, if you're platen is not 100% correct or if there's any residue building up from J-Flex, it makes those little squiggy lines on your blade. With the Cerax, I can push on the blade on the platen and come up like from 320 or 400 grit to a very clean grind and then continue on a disc or straight to handstand. Yeah, so to, to give people out there that don't have a, um, if you don't have any idea on abrasives, let's let's just let's just break that down a little bit. Um, Basically, an abrasive is something that scratches another material. So for, in order for it to scratch that material, it has to be harder than the material that you're putting it against. So Mert talked there about uh, aluminium oxide and ceramic, and there's also an, another common one called zirconia. And so basically, aluminium oxide's the softest. It's that brown, uh, the brown material that you see on the very cheap belts. Um, that's not necessarily bad that it's soft. In fact, that's very good for materials that are also soft. So for timber and things, using cheap belts, if you clog them up, you can throw them out. The ceramics are much, much harder material. So um, basically with ceramics, if you think about a diamond saw, if you've ever touched or held a diamond saw, run your fingers over it, you couldn't cut yourself on it, but yet it cuts concrete. The same way that those particles of diamond are very hard in a diamond saw, is the same with a ceramic belt. They're not a sharp belt. They're not ones that you feel and you think, oh, wow, that feels very, very sharp like you would with an aluminium oxide. But they rely on pressure and speed in order to work. So in order to get, um, to get them to function properly, you need a lot of speed and you need pressure. And when you have those two things, those belts will outlast any, anything else that we use in knife making. The only exception could be silicon carbide, which is harder again, but unfortunately, silicon carbide doesn't break down the same way. It doesn't work the same, and uh, it destroys file guides when people use file guides. Corin, as you said, like one thing with the, the ceramic belts and the aluminum oxide belts, like people look at the price difference, seeing that aluminum oxide belts are maybe like half the price or one third the price. Yes, you're paying more initially for ceramic belt, but yeah, the ceramic belt lasts three times more than the more than the aluminum oxide anyway. So you have to also look at saying, is your time more valuable or you just want to stand on the grinder and keep grinding, keep grinding, and probably with the chance and the risk of overheating your blade. Yeah, it gets much hotter when you have a, a dull belt, so that's you grind yeah. a lot hotter. So with the, um, with the aluminum oxide, people say to us all the time, why don't you have... 
high grit, like 400 grit ceramic. The problem is is a thing called point loading. If you're walking along and you tread on a nail in a piece of wood, it goes straight through your foot. However, if you lie on a bed of nails, they don't go into you at all. The point is the amount of pressure per point. So in finer grits, that's the example I like to use because when you're pushing on a piece of of ceramic that's got 400 grit you haven't actually got much pressure on each grit and they don't work well so that's when we will go to a soft grain like aluminium oxide and the norax belts you guys mentioned are a structured aluminium oxide abrasive which means that they're perfectly consistent like 3d printed material on on the belt they're, they're very nice belts to use very consistent and quite deep in the uh in the abrasive as mert said so I, I personally, I go through basically the same, the same as you guys. My blades are much smaller. I make small folding knives and barrel knives. So when I grind steel, it's um, ceramic all the way to start with. And then I, I typically go to hand sanding after 120 grit because my knives aren't that big and uh, I get a much more consistent and even result. So, Clone? Yes, yeah, and, and when I was at your place recently doing that barrel knife stuff, I showed you how to use your bloody disc, mate, so you can go... <laughs> less hand sanding more disc <laughs> I, I want to use my disc a lot more now that i know i know how to use it a bit better so yeah i've got to got to do a bit more practice but unfortunately i haven't actually made a knife since that so i uh, hope no. end of this year <laughs> yes but i bet i bet corin still has the same same belt that he did like he is he's <laughs> because barrel knives are small and he does like one knife a year and spider webs on the same belt from two years ago uh it's it's, it's funny because it's true i actually do go through a few belts but normally because i uh <laughs> i jam bits of rough steel into them when i'm fabricating something but i don't um yeah i don't go through a lot of belts that's very true Mert. thank you for thank you for holding the mirror up to my life <laughs> and also um for the for the guys out there i guess that are getting new getting into knife making and all that sort of stuff um like you guys are saying you gotta look at overall value for money and return on your investment instead of just what's the cheapest thing to get in the day um but also with the belt you can get the rubber cleaning blocks which are you know add add a little bit of life to them especially when you're grinding um your, your timbers and stuff in them yeah, absolutely. What what do you use for your handles, Mert? The ones where you you know your four to one ratio of handles. Four to one ratio. Thanks, thanks for pointing out my recent fuck ups, Kev. <laughs> Look, I I know it's not the most feasible. Till now, I've been using same belts, but if you start working with the iron wood or if you have like oily wood like coca bolo, they load the belt so much up. Either way, you have to use those belt cleaning sticks to expose more fresh ceramic, or you have to buy a you have to buy some aluminum oxide just to use for handles. That's what I've been doing lately. Like buying, if I buy ten belts, maybe like a fifteen. If I buy ten belts out of the ceramic, I'll buy a one or two for the aluminum oxide just to strictly use on my handle material. Yeah, it's always yeah. Good, I'm the same. Always a good idea. Yeah, yeah, always a good idea. I use. Uh, 40 or 60 grit alox belts for the handles to get that rough in and then i move up through the up through um some higher grits and then move on to sanding them we've just got a, a new product actually just been released which is 
was tested by Dominic Binkert, who had a lot of issues grinding titanium, and he was saying how quickly it turned through belts. And so we've just released a new product, which is a titanium-specific grinding belt. So if you're interested yeah, right. in that, it's a Klingspore product. It'll be available on the Artisan Supplies page. And I've no idea what it's called, but just look up titanium grinding belt, and if it doesn't come up, uh, complain. Yeah, <laughs> complaints I always work. Sharks with the freaking laser beam belt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're, it, that's pretty cool. The other one that we've got now is an unloaded cork belt as well. So in other words, it's a cork belt without any abrasive on it. It's just uh, particles of cork on a belt, which you can put your own polishing compounds on. So that's a new product that's just come out again. That's another Klingspore one, that one. Yeah, actually, um, that's a good thing, Corin, because... Um, if I, the rare times that I do a machine finish knife, um, those loaded cork belts are really freaking cool to use. You can get um, like actually a nice acceptable machine finish with very few sort of big scratches and stuff showing through, provided you go, you know, still maintain the good sort of technique when you go through. But finishing off with those cork belts that you've got, um, you can come up with a really nice finish. Yeah, you Actually, those, man? yeah, look, for my Hunter Blade series, I'm doing a machine finish. And yes, we all like the beautiful hand hand finished satin looking blades, but actually coming off the belt is a lot harder than a lot of people assume. Because there's nothing to hide it. Like for example, when you do when you do hand sand, you can go to progressions and you can make it all shiny, but to be able to have a good machine finish, you have to have a good grinding. Because there's no yes. nothing hiding it. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes that goes back to my point last time when we were saying about the beginners, you know, take your time. Um, also, yeah, take your time to learn what you're doing as well. Like, don't don't get too stressed out when you start out. It's it's something that's going to take muscle memory, and you know, you're going to have to grind. A, most people have to grind quite a few blades before they get good at it. There's some people out there that are naturals that we um, kindly refer to as you bastards um, that get things right really fast. Um, but for most of us, it's, you know, very rarely do we have that natural gift of just getting things done right and nice straight away. So, yeah, work on it and sort of accept less things uh, as you go through. But you're right, Mert. Um, a good machine finish is very hard to achieve. There's uh, actually very few knife makers in Australia that can put present a knife with a, with a straight-off-the-grinder finish and it be spectacular there's very few guys that can do that yeah so so i've got a i just remembered i've got these um disc grinder um discs that i picked up at one of my local sort of hardware places and um i might see if i can um do a little review on those as well i got bought them out of curiosity um because i was tired of you know using a, a standard angle grinder brutal disc to remove um, scale and stuff and and these things have worked out quite well I can't remember offhand what they're called but I'll get them out for next show and um, have a bit of talk about those as well because I think they're quite good yeah we do a we do a soft um, you're familiar with the ones Bill Burke uses the big cup ones yeah 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 we sell we sell a version of that as well so they're not a cheap thing they go on a nine inch angle grinder so they're not for everyone but they're specifically to remove scale is that what you're talking about no nah, mine are mine are like 180 grit 320 grit that sort of thing but that one that you're talking about the cup one is absolutely superb for 
um, when you're making Damascus for quick removal of scale. Yeah. Like I said, you've got to, you, you're using a nine inch disc grinder, so you, you've got to pay attention to what you're up to. Well, give us the name of it, mate, and we'll do a bolt buy. I probably have an account with whoever makes it, so. Yeah, sure. No worries. <laughs> I'm keen. I've had them for a little while. I've had them for a little while, just giving them a test run to see. And they also do um, uh, bench grinder uh, wheels as well. Are they like a non cool. a non woven one? Are they like the like a the, what they call non woven? They're abrasive? almost like a yeah. They're almost like a compressed fiber sort of wheel. It's really kind of a strange thing. I'll I'll take a photo of the brand and send it up to you, mate, and you can suss that out. Yeah, we'll get onto it. All right. So um, yeah. the um, anyone got any beginner tips this week? When I did when I did courses when I did courses and I was explaining people how to grind. One thing that I have to keep stressing over and over is the position to hold the blade. So your thumb is actually dictating where you're going to grind the blade. Many people, beginners, they just hold the blade from usually from the tank and they just place their hand behind the behind the blade some, somewhere, like not thinking, but you start grinding, you start coming from the heel, and by the time your hand goes towards the, the tip of the knife, all of a sudden you realize, Oh shit, my hand is in the way of the grinder. I'm gonna grind my thumbs off. Then you're trying to all of a sudden you're trying to like relocate your thumbs, but the problem is there's a fucking grinder running at the same time trying to flip the blade out of your hand. So when I have people coming to my shop or when I'm teaching people grinding, the most important thing is how you hold the blade and how you can apply pressure just by the look the where you locate your thumbs. And how do you push it? So what I do is I hold my blade and I push my thumbs behind it, exact point where I want to grind. Let's say I want to grind the spine of the knife. Okay, what I do is I hold my blade, making sure my thumbs are near the, the spine side of the blade. That way I can focus and I can put the pressure towards the spine of the blade. If I want to grind towards the edge, and what I do is I lift my thumb up and then I push, I hold it from the near the heel and then I push towards the, sorry guys. Good. You got to visit him, mate. And <laughs> hey, while, while Mer goes and does his uh, thing with his visitor. Yeah, I got a visitor. <laughs> Thanks, mate. How are you, man? Good, man. How are you? Good. What was your last name again? T-A-N-S-U. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Lovely. You too. See ya. See ya. What'd you get delivered? Do you want to see what I got delivered? Yeah, let's have our first unboxing on Knife Making Down Under podcast. Unboxing live on Knife Making Down Under. Mert's just taken (laughs) delivery of a package. Can we get a sexy music? Unboxing. Chicken, wow, wow. We are so fucking professional. <laughs> <laughs> and behold, big, big gouging chisel. Oh, a gouging chisel. A yes. gouging chisel. That's a weapon, yes. Mert. You can't send that in the post. So I what are you? The fucking eyes off, Kev. No, this is for my late. I I bought a late almost a year ago, and. I quickly realized I need special chisels to use it, and it only took me probably nine or ten months to be ordered this. So I got to now gouging. Um, 
what do you call gouging chisel yeah i'll be i'll be turning some handles you're gonna have some fun there mert but i'll tell you tell you my experience with a wood lathe i bought one put it in my shop i turned some stuff for my wife i turned around and my whole workshop's full of shit everywhere and uh and i decided it was time for me to get rid of the wood lathe so i passed it on (laughs) yeah considering considering how enriched my shed is with the dust i think that's a fucking great idea <laughs> you might want to start you might want to start with some pine first Mert, to learn what you're doing i never got past well, pine the, what can go wrong with dust right Colin? well lots can go wrong with dust let's, <laughs> let's talk about dust in a minute <laughs> there we've taken a little segue i i'm just on your yeah. topic of using your thumbs to to guide the grind if you watch my video yep. uh, with the noob grinder and the blaze belts, you'll see me grind a knife. I do exactly the same thing. Put, establish a bevel, and it's, it comes down to when you. I think when you're showing that technique, it all makes a whole lot of sense. And and grinding without a jig becomes something that's really quite a cathartic and and not overly difficult process. I think I never ground with a jig again after I learnt that. No, no jigs, freehand, no tool rest. And I just, I just want to thank you guys because I'm sitting here um, with all this talk about applying pressure with your thumb, and I'm looking down at my scabbed up thumb, um, like with my my sphincter closing up at the the thought of the pain of that again. But no, that's that's fine. I'll go back to the um, I'll go back to the therapist later. And get over that. <laughs> you can also, um, in that same regard, and this is where I'm going to jump in, is you can also if you you learn to use like a push stick you can substitute your pressure of your thumb and actually just use a push stick. And you can either use, I, I, I've got the best push, push sticks uh, in the world at my workshop because they're all offcuts of stabilized burl. Um, <laughs> so when my students are down here, especially I'm like, yeah, man, uh, that's just some stabilized Mallee burl and that's some stabilized Osage orange or whatever's going on. Um, but I do that. The other thing with regards to, especially because I do a lot of hidden tang knives, um, when you're holding onto a hidden tang knife and you're grinding, you're pinching a really small surface area and holding a really small surface area, which just adds another level to that um, hand, brain, uh, and eye coordination stuff. I, I make just out of pine, just the real cheap, bodgy um, version of a um, hidden tang handle. And I've got them in a number of sizes. So depending on the tang size, I just slip that up, tap it into place, and then I've got something that you know can hold on to uh, with a nice solid grip. Um, so that's another sort of tip. That's my little tip for the uh, makers that are especially using um, hidden tang knives or doing hidden tang knives. Yeah, it's a bloody good Well, one. your your solution is a bit deluxe, man. I just take a, a cork of uh, bubbles or like a champagne or a bubbly wine. I just drill a hole and I jam it in it, so I just hold the cork. I don't hold actually the sharp, sticky tang. I don't drink champagne. All <laughs> <laughs> wine, wine that's expensive enough to have a cork in it. So your, your <laughs> I can wrap falutin. a cardboard box around. I can, I'd have to wrap a cardboard box around mine. <laughs> it's all your highfalutin, so you fine yeah. dining stuff. You drink oh, yeah. champagne? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it doesn't come in a box, mate, it's no good. For our American <laughs> listeners... For our American listen, listeners, it's a tradition in Australia to buy your wine by the gallon in a box uh, with a bladder inside. That's um, that's the way we buy it down under. 
And we we call that bladder a, we call it a goon bag. <laughs> <laughs> so let's um let's keep going. Um, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, in the, I'm in the fucking wine region. How come I never got to see him? <laughs> you get it in barrels. I'm, in the there. Bo- I'm a full time knife maker, man. I can't afford these in glass. <laughs> I've always got a box of wine in the fridge. It's the only way it comes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, so here we are. Uh, my one is don't burn your pins. Um, a lot of times I see a lot of beginner knives, people pass them and say, hey, what do you think of my first knife? And one of the first tips, the first thing that jumps at me and the easiest to prevent, I think, is to just don't get your pins too hot when you're grinding because it has two serious negative effects. The first is it weakens the glue. But the second is it leaves a little black ring around the pin. And so... I've got my own way to do it. Uh, obviously, I start with a really sharp belt, and I usually go with a zirconia because it's a, a very sharp, sharp cutting grit, and it, and the pins aren't hard. And then I use an air compressor, um, and I just blow on the pins with the air compressor because often, if I'm not using stabilized wood or, or G10 or something, I don't want to dunk raw wood into a into a bucket of water so i just use the air compressor and hit them with the air compressor when they get warm that's that's how i do it what about you boys yeah i cut my pins uh on the bandsaw or the one mil cutting disc on the angle grinder really really close to shape if i'm not painting them that is um really close to shape or size and then yeah just glue them and then use a fresh belt low speed and i do the exact same thing man i've got the air compressor gun there and I'll do a small a small bite, so hit it with the air compressor, small bite, hit it with the air compressor. Because that black ring as well, man, like you said, you know, um, the first, it's, it's one of those things when you start getting better at knife making and you're getting all that critiquing and then you start seeing it with other makers, that black ring around a pin, it stands out like the proverbial, man. Like, you know, there's no missing it. No, no. You can get it from a poor fitted drill and things, but mostly you find oh, yeah. it. Yeah, mostly it's it's... They're just overheating the pins, and brass is a super conductor of heat. So when you have, uh, when you get it, when you get it hot, it goes right through. So yeah, real problem. Yeah, the good the good tip with that is if you're grinding one side, stick your thumb on the other side, and when you get that searing hot pain, you know that you're heating it up too much. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Um, no, yeah, you've gone too oh, far. Don't do that. <laughs> Beginners tip to avoid. Yeah, don't do that. But yeah, it's really important, and and I, I that's exactly the reason I always grind everything barehanded. Um, there's there's something to be said for what happened to you, Kev, where you drove your finger into the into the grinder. But years ago, I was in a plastic surgeon's room, and uh, well, I had basically I got caught in a rotating machine, had to have a full wrist reconstruction um, at work. And in that room was a whole bunch of people with claws, with two fingers left, or you know, hands that had been shaped into something that could you'd be used to grapple. And just about all of them had been caught with gloves in rotating machines, which is something that happened to oh, me. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So my point here is it's better to have a bit of abrasion than it is to have a glove caught in a machine because that can literally destroy your whole hand. I've, I've actually seen that. So, um, And the other benefit, of course, with bare hands is you can feel how hot your stuff's getting. Yeah. Um, dust, Mert, dust. You're always complaining how dusty your shop is. Let me tell you something about dust. That shit will kill you. What are your, what's your strategies for dealing with dust when making knives? 
Uh, look, I have dust extractors. I mean, I have dust extractors, extractors, and it's not. I would like to say it's not bad as is, but it's mostly the wood dust. And when I'm making the scabbards for my chef knives that they're called sayas, then I have the most dust laying around because then it's chiseling and it's also a little bit of the grinding of it. And my dust collector doesn't do a good job on them, especially when you're on a high grid, on a low grid belt, on a high speed. But I'm still being careful with the synthetic stuff. Like if I ever do G10 or if I ever do carbon fiber, I make sure I have the shop bag right next to the grinder plus the dust extractor running. The, my biggest problem is actually my shed is not fully insulated. It's a tin shed and dust from the from the outside just keeps coming. Oh, it's not yeah. just the dust I make. I know dust is not good for you. And I mean, my electric equipment can attest to it since I keep breaking them due to the dust. <laughs> so yeah, dust extraction is a big thing. So have you got any, so you've obviously you've got, you've got a few issues in your shed. Um, I wonder if, uh, you, what do you do Kev with dust? Um, well, I, um, just wear a, one of those, um, full head masks, which has the positive air pressure flowing over filtered masks. I think it's the trend one. Um, a few of the guys in Australia use those. Um, it's, it's, it's reasonably, it feels reasonably heavy when you first wear it because you've got the motor and everything above your head. Um, but as I had, you, well, I, I go between lazy and not lazy and between having a beard and not having a beard. Um, and it's one of the first masks that I've used where, um, you know, there's only the tiniest amount or tiniest hint of the product that I'm grinding gets through to the actual sensors. Um, so I use that mainly when I'm on my own. Uh, I, use, I provide students with just the, um, I think it's the P2 charcoal filtered masks. Um, but in the shop sense, that's one of the next things that I'm looking at um, getting a solution for. Um, I like the um, extraction units. I think they're from Carbotech. It's just like a big, big box. I'm pretty sure Chad's got one. Yeah, they're not, um, a, they're not an extractor. Just, they're more of a cleaner, aren't they? They cleanse the air. They take the yeah, air from the room. Well, yeah. It, it's a vac. It's a, no, this one's actually a vacuum unit, so it is an okay. extractor. Okay. So you hook up. Yeah. The other one. It's uh, a kilo uh, unit, Jeff. If you think about buying it, the whole unit is 100 kilos. Yeah, lightweight, mate. Yeah, it's lightweight. <laughs> yeah, I'll get my I'll, I'll get my wife less to help me move me. it. <laughs> yeah, and me. <laughs> uh, no, so the the other thing I do is just um, you know depending on I've got a roller door each end of my workshop and um, if it's not a freezing cold day or too windy I'll open up one end of the shop and let the dust go out naturally and I've got an air compressor which I clean everything in the shop. Um, with the air compressor. And then as you guys are saying, you clean it with the air compressor, it all looks great. You come back 10 minutes later and wipe the top of your bench and you've got two mils of dust sitting there. So it's it's like the, it's the constant, it's the never ending. But um, I've got to try and work out an extraction system um, better than having a roller door open. Yeah, well, my my system, I've um, I basically uh, set up, as you know, years ago in my garage and I had so much crap in there that I put everything on pallets and, and it was a bit of a joke. And you could find pictures on the internet of my old knife making shop where everything was on pallets. So you had a pallet jack and you pull all of the uh, pull stuff out of the out of the shed and I used to put it in the driveway. 
And that worked pretty good. Um, so you have all the dust outside, wear a dust mask. Uh, and that's what I did for as a beginner anyway. And then just recently I've uh, built a new shed, that hashtag Bunnings Picton. And in that shed, I've basically built a room for dust, which um, I've run out of money. But somebody gave me a link. Whoever the person was that gave me a link to the vinyl strip at Windsor, Thank you so much. That was awesome. I bought a 50 meter roll by two millimeter thick by 100 millimeter wide uh, roll of vinyl strip, which I then made the door for the dust room out of, so that I can just walk through it and it's clear, so I can see through it. Um, and it was 25 bucks, so score. I don't know if it's still on marketplace, but someone sent me that link and it was that was brilliant. And now the next part of the the dust room is when I can afford it is to cut a hole in the back wall and stick in a dust extraction fan, one of those box fans that Matthew, uh, Michael Cthulhu was talking about. Um, get one of those yeah. and, and, and just pull the dust out of the back of the shed. That, that's, my, that's my current plan. The problem with the standard dust extraction systems um, that I've seen is that when people grind timber and the timber dust lines the dust extractor, when you then grind... Um, Steel, they catch fire. I've seen that happen a few times now. Yeah, that fan, that, that fan is that fan idea is one which I'm looking at too. Um, when I worked at Farwa, they had that. One of the things you've got to be careful of with that though is the same thing with that wood dust, metal dust thing. Um, not making sure that there's no way it can burn down your workshop. Yeah, because I know those guys. Yeah, those guys sort of had a couple of uh, times where. You know, being on the ball, at least they they caught stuff before it went bad. But that's the possibility. And that system, you've got to have um, it, it actually worked really well. Like I, I noticed a considerable difference in um, the amount of dust that was just lying around in general, uh, all over the place because it, it draws it out, which is pretty cool. Now, probably like you guys, probably like me, that um, you know. When you go up to the workshop just to check something and you get stuck there, that's when PPE falls apart um, and you don't, you know, you've gone up to the workshop to pick something up and four hours later you come back coated in wood dust because you've decided to um, shape the four handles that would, the glue was drying on. Um, I've been in that situation before where I've come in and I've not used that protection and you wake up the next day and, you know, you can hardly breathe properly. It feels like you've got a cold coming on. Um, you know, and you're in all, all sorts of grief for a few days just because, you know, you haven't put that face mask on. That was like the time I, I um, smelted, uh, I was smelting something with zinc in it in my shed and uh, I ended up with metal fume fever. It was fantastic. Yeah, no, I don't oh, recommend that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, certain, there's certain timbers over the time of making knives, um, there's certain timbers that I'm definitely allergic to um, and I if I'm don't have my um, mask on or my filter on, um, I'll end up with a blood nose or a real raw feeling inside the nose. And um, one of those is actually the walnut, which I've, I've just found that walnut is no good um, for me. It's a beautiful, like Turkish walnut's beautiful timber, but man, if I don't have my breathing gear on with that stuff, I'm rooted for a couple of days. Yeah, cockabola kills me, man. I, I love cockabola. Oh. I love the Tabergia family. Beautiful, but cockabola. Like, I love the Honduras sauce with bird. It smells beautiful. There's nothing but when you do cocobolo, I feel like can't breathe. Yeah. yeah. And Huon Pine has got a really particularly fine dust, so that shit's no good for you. So I think what we're trying to say here is, 
you know, even if you've just got a basic mask set up, put it on, it's going to save you a bit of bother. Yeah, look, we, you know, knife making can be dangerous in a whole bunch of levels, but I think when it comes down to it, dust <laughs> is the one that's most uh, most likely to be a killer. Yeah. So uh, Very good. If anyone, if anyone that wants to put up their um, dust extraction systems, if you've got something that's successful, uh, working well, pop over to the Facebook page. Um, we might start up a little topic about dust extraction systems and, and post your pictures up because it's always interesting to see uh, what other people are doing. The best one I saw was, um, I think, Lorian Forge, uh, Andrew Blomfield, Bloomfield. He's, uh, his system, which is basically a, it pulls, it's very strong vacuum that pulls all the dust through a water, a water bath. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah look, well, put it up. Andrew, Andrew's sort of like a fucking mad scientist, isn't he? So <laughs> yes, yes, he is. No, I don't think he can do anything by halves. <laughs> okay, are we ready for? A, yeah. I'll just have a. Is there anything else in that we wanted to discuss in shed time? From you guys? No, I think uh, no. That's enough for. I think that's enough for people to get their heads around for the moment. All right. So just a quick word from a sponsor, which is um, Norton abrasives norton abrasives make the blaze belts the norax belts that we spoke about we all use them uh, a lot of people use them in australia there are lots of other brands of ceramic belts out there and you can do your own research get onto youtube we watched a, a great video uh, watched a great video the other day where a guy compares um norton blaze and cubitrons and um combat abrasives and all the others and basically the the um, end result was that per knife blaze are still the cheapest so we thought it'd be a good idea for them as a sponsor to give everyone 10 percent off and so if you go to gamaco artisan supplies website use the uh, code down under 10 the coupon code down under 10 uh, being for our podcast you'll get 10 percent off whatever the price listed is bear in mind that you get a 23 percent discount by buying 12 of those belts so if you buy 12 you get 23 percent off if you then use the Down Under podcast uh, one, you should get an extra 10% off and you'll basically be buying Norton Blaze belts cheaper than they buy them in America. So that's a really good deal and um, we we look forward to seeing you guys use that to uh, to save some money on Norton Blaze and any Norton product on the website, including the flapper discs and grinding discs and so forth that are on there as well. Yeah, that that's an absolutely awesome deal, man. Seriously, that is cool. Um, yeah. I, I, because I'm like I said, full time maker. I buy my belts in the six packs. In like, I buy a dozen six packs when I buy my belt. So, um, and that's what I've got to do to try and get a pretty cool price. But you know, seeing that the guys out there now can get um, that discount on that quantity, that's pretty freaking awesome. So, thanks. if you're not using the, if, I was going to say, if you're not using the belt or haven't used the belts, now's a really good time uh, at that price to jump in and buy a few and see what you think. Yep. See if we're talking shit. Give us but your feedback not. and give us, when you get your orders, um, give us a shout out and tag us in them as well. Um, I noted yesterday uh, that the warehouse had finally caught up. Well, that's yesterday when this was recorded. They'll probably be behind again, but they're, um, the orders are going out of Artisan Supplies are going much quicker than normal at the moment. Um, yeah, nice. Listeners, questions answered, guys. Questions? Do you have any questions, Murd, off Instagram? Did anyone ask anything? Yes. Yes, I have a question from a maker from East Gippsland, Victoria. Dominic Shops. 
he's asking, hey guys, how do you keep track of your custom orders? Is there a system pretty much? So what do you guys do? What do you do, Kev? Uh, well, for a start, when I do a custom order, I get everyone to contact me through uh, email. So if, even if the order comes through Instagram, I get the customer to send me an email. I have a uh, folder in my email that's called custom knives and I can go in and have a look at that. Um, through, through Just through using um, Gmail, I can set up reminders on things and count, link to calendars and stuff and I can actually see um, when jobs are due and do all that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing I do is when I'm actually working on them in the shed, I've got a pigeonhole system in my workshop um, and I'll have the knives and components of those knives in that pigeonhole with details of what that person wanted uh, and when they wanted it. So I try and just keep on top of stuff uh, and not get too distracted by, um, you know, stuff that's not essential um, and, and just use that as my main um, way of managing it. I know some guys also that make knives and deal with custom orders use like a whiteboard system. Um, so you can jot your stuff down on a whiteboard and whatnot, but I figure if it's in my emails and I've got it in the calendar, um, I'm always looking at that sort of stuff. So for me, that's that's the best pro approach I make. For me, it, for me, it would be a spreadsheet. I'll, I would do it on a spreadsheet. I don't do it on a spreadsheet because one knife a year. I've I get requests to make barrel knives for people all the time, um, and uh, basically they're <clears> going to be disappointed probably. So that's okay. I'm I'm okay with that. The next one's going to. Uh, the next one I make's probably going to Bubba Crouch because um, we were drunk at Blade Show and I think I might have promised him I'd make him one. And um, yeah. and, and that's that's it. I don't, I don't stress too much on it. But when I do do uh, bulk buys, I, I store everything on a spreadsheet. I put in the date that the order was placed, what they wanted. I put everything onto a spreadsheet, which gives me an idea of what to order as well. So, yeah, what I need to have yeah, in stock. Well my people most people probably wouldn't know my past life before being a full-time knife maker was a systems administrator um, for the government and my life revolved around databases and spreadsheets and all that sort of stuff so i i try and steer clear of technology these days so i cringe at the idea of a spreadsheet but that works you know <laughs> It, it depends on what you're used to. I, I use a whiteboard in my office as well for various things and I have a whiteboard in the shop and, and having them on there where you walk past and can look at it all the time, uh, I guess that's a good idea. But what do you do? You probably take more custom orders than both of us, I would think. Uh, I used to, but I haven't been taking custom orders. What I've done is I have my blackboard in my shop and that blackboard tells me what knives I have to forge throughout the whole year. And I also, coming back from hospitality background, back from my chefing days, we will get we will get functions, we will get parties, and when they happen, you get a something called a function sheet, and it says what you're cooking, how many people you're doing it for, and what's the food, and all the remarks. I'm, I created something similar, so who the blade is for, if they're a repeat uh, customer, if they bought something else from me, if there's any request. And I have them in my I have them in my shop. But what I do is when I'm looking at the blackboard, if I see or I need to forge uh, one knife out of the steel. And although it's not needed, somebody with the same steel, same profile, wants the same knife. So instead of saying, no, I'm, oh, that knife is not too far under six months, if I'm forging the same steel, yeah, I'm trying to forge all the same kind at the same time because of the temperatures. Or if I'm trying to do heat treatment, 
So at least I know I can kind of do like a small batch work per se. Yeah. yeah. I'm just picturing uh, I'm just picturing Mr. Squiggle with the blackboard saying, hurry up, hurry up. When you're saying your blackboard when your blackboard tells you what to do. <laughs> okay, I'm old. All right, I'm old. <laughs> <coughs> Mr. Squiggle. For Americans, that's a man with a pencil for a nose. <laughs> Very cool. It was... He's got a blackboard and two ways saying hurry up. Yeah, it, it's um, Mr. Squiggle. I think we all grew up with it uh, down here. So, yep, that's a very yeah. Australian thing. So, so that's there's a couple of um, ways of managing orders. Um, obviously, one of the things which I say to people is um, learn. You got to learn to say no, uh, or be very honest with people. If there's a 18 month wait list, you just say, "Sure, I can make you a knife, but you're not going to get it for 18 months." Uh, that that's that's another side of the manage, time management that has to come into play later. Mm, absolutely. Um, we did have we did have um, a question through the Facebook page, which was from Bryce Morsley, um, who wanted us to maybe talk about the um, ABS journey, like to get it to become a journeyman smith and a master smith. But rather than jumping in and answering that now, I reckon that's going to be. Um, something that we might look at over a period of a few weeks or a few episodes where I can talk about, you know, my personal side where I'm a, a, an apprentice and hopefully if I don't lose any more um, parts off my body or break things, my goal is to submit the JS stuff next year. Um, this year at Blade Show, we had a couple of Aussies, um, Tobal, um, Jason Waitman Tobal and Jackson Rumble get their Journeyman Smith levels um, and we've got um, Sean McIntyre um, down in Victoria there at the moment, who's a master smith and very heavily engaged in the knife making community. So I reckon we make a plan for that particular question, and and we'll map it out over a few episodes and and give you as much info as we can. And thanks for putting that question up; it was um, really good. You got any more, Mert? That, so that's you all. Kev, are you uh, going this year for journeys? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I can see you, man. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's, the, that's the plan. That's the plan. Okay. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm an apprentice as well. ABS apprentice. I have no aspersions yeah, of grandeur, aspiration of grandeur. <laughs> the, the, the journeyman yeah. test, um, yeah, well, we'll go through it in future episodes, but getting, getting the ABS journeyman test is something that, um, that really means something. Um, to become a journeyman smith, um, you basically have your knives judged by your peers and there's a performance testing as well. And it's, the performance testing is impressive, but the judging by your peers is uh, is probably more heart-wrenching. Well, it's only your peers if you know the mastersmiths. Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually it's a, it's a panel of mastersmiths that do the judging. Um, and I think because I, I, I know a few of the guys over in the States now through my last couple of visits, and I reckon it'd be even more daunting, uh, as you said, if those guys are on the panel, I'll be bloody shitting bricks. Um, and we'll get that feeling, that lead-up feeling. We'll talk to Tobal and um, Jackson um, at some stage down the line, and we'll, we'll hear, we'll just hear it straight from the bloody donkey's mouth about how how it feels when you're waiting in line for them to walk out and let you know either way. 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's true. And then for Jackson to to pick up the best uh, the best of the best of the best that was um that was pretty special as well. He what was the name of that award? I can't remember. Something the Keesler Award. Keesler Award. The Keesler Award. Best of the yeah. Yeah, yeah that was awesome. <sighs> um, so what do we got coming up, guys? Like what what's on the radar um, in the Australian knife community? I guess the the biggest there's a few shows. So there's the South Coast Knife Show. The Auckland Knife Show, for those that want to go over to New Zealand and, and check that one out. And the Adelaide Knife Show are the, the three next in the in the calendar, I think. Uh, and then followed by the Canberra Knife Show in December. So we've spoken about the South Coast one before. That's first weekend in October. Auckland, I think, is mid-October. We'll just have to check that. And Adelaide Knife Show's first weekend in November. So... The other one is yeah. that, that's that's going to be released soon that you really need to be following. If you want to get involved in, if you're interested in knife making, is the Australian Blade Symposium. This one is, that one is like, a, it's a limited entry event. They've got a page on Facebook, the Australian Blade Symposium page on Facebook. It's limited entry. There's normally about 80 places to the event and they sell out every time really quickly. And it's about... This time of year, coming up toward Christmas, that they that they open it for um, registrations, uh, and strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you get in on that page and and stay tuned for registrations because it fills up really, really, really quickly. It's basically a full weekend of um, a full weekend of knife making presentations. They get a master smith or a, or an extremely good maker from international maker to come and present. And uh, there's a slightly different format this year as well, uh, suitable for beginners and advanced. So the Australian Blade Symposium, you guys have both presented, as have I, at Blade Symposiums over the years. What are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely um, definitely something to go in and have a look at. Um, yeah, Corin and I are both on the committee um, and we, we assist in the organising of these things. And um, we've taken on board... Uh, the feedback from people, whether it's been positive or negative, and we're um, applying a lot of the, the the lessons learned from the last couple of events to try and just make this thing, uh, you know, obviously not just the best thing in Australia, but an absolute world-class event. And, you know, said bringing over um, an internationally renowned um, guest presenter is one of the things we look at each time. And... Um, we just want to make sure that the quality of the event, the quality of the instructors and the quality of the um, guest presenters just keeps going up and up. Um, so some big changes in store for this next symposium. Um, as Corin's alluded to, we're going to maybe have a bit of a change of tact in it. Um, but yeah, if whether you're a new maker or an experienced maker, you can always come along and, and pick up some tips from it. Yep. Uh, it's a great, great event. So uh, that one is actually run in March every year. And um, that's, uh, yeah, so basically it's, I think, the end of March. It could be September this year, depending on the presenter. We have, we're talking to a couple of uh, international international guys, some of the best in the world, in fact, uh, and those, um, depends on which one we end up with and what time of year they're available. We'll, we'll basically run the event around them. All right. Well, the, the highlights from... Uh, personal highlight for me was two years ago, Kevin Cashin was here. I mean, what better way to learn heat treatment listening from Kevin Cashin, the man from itself? 
This year, we had Rodrigo Sfredo, who was the inventor of the keyhole, keyhole Damascus. I'm sorry, keyhole integral. And all those masters sharing their knowledge, that's a great. And we had Bill Burke yeah. before that. We've had Bill Burke. And yes, of course, was. Sean McIntyre as well. So, yeah, we have some excellent master smiths presenting. So, yeah. But Kevin Cashin, yeah, that was great. Rodrigo, great guy. Yeah, can't. Yeah, it's it's always a barrel of laughs. Anyway, it's a great event for catching up with your mates. The competition night, uh, where we have like like we've had forging competitions and grinding competitions, those are a lot of fun as well. So come and be a part and throw your hat in the ring to have a go. Absolutely. All right. All right. So just some shout outs, guys. Who are we gonna uh, who are we gonna shout out this week? No one. <laughs> All right. So Kev has spoken. I'm, no, I'm going no, no, go to give a shout out. I'm going to give a shout out to a guy by the name of Andrew Smith. Um, most people, oh, I don't know, not everyone will know Andrew. He's, he doesn't make knives. Um, I first met him in 2013, 14, when we were planning the first Sydney show. And he said, hey, if you need a hand with anything, I'll do it for nothing. And, and I just really want to do it. And so we said yes, and we've been working with Andrew ever since. Andrew uh, is a collector of knives. He's really passionate about the industry. And uh, the, subsequently, when the Knife Art Association grew to a certain critical mass, um, Andrew uh, works for us part-time running the shows, running the events and, and administration. He also is an awesome graphic designer. So if you need a logo or anything else, um, that's designed like a, a stamp or a custom touch mark or anything. Andrew Smith's your man. Yep. Mert. Mert, what about you, mate? Well, we already mentioned about him, but I want to give a shout-out to Ramatha. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Fucking it's just deal. fucking, fucking <laughs> Kev. <laughs> Sorry. It's, Kev. Um, we've got the video screens running here, and all we can see is Kev looking like an emo and... Um, it's it's quite distracting. Um, it's very pr- unprofessional, and we're gonna his next I performance. I discovered. <laughs> it, I just discovered filters. <laughs> in his next performance review, this will no doubt come up. So. <laughs> this is why I can't do live videos. What I didn't no, say. You're just jealous. You're just jealous that I saw it and you didn't. <laughs> so Andrew Andrew Smith, by the way, can be contacted through the Knife Art Association and. Um, uh, on Facebook, he's a friend of mine. You just get in touch with us and we'll give you his details. I'm not too sure if he even has an Instagram account. Yes. Uh, he, he has? Yeah, he has. So, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's a personal or live content. So, uh, I'll, yeah, I don't know if that's a personal or the business. He's the first point yeah, of contact we'll at the Knife Art Association. Just contact him through there. That would be the way to go. And, yeah. um, all through me, and I'll be happy to point you in his direction. Sorry, Mert, and I'm even sorry about Kev. Uh, well, don't don't be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so entertaining. I was, me. <laughs> I was talking about person we already mentioned in the show, Jackson Rumble, Rumble Nice, hum, Jackson the Humble Rumble. So I want to give a shout out to him. He's a young fella, very talented guy, and he's making his own Damascus uh, mosaic Damascus in as well, and. Uh, as you said, he won the best. Um, his knife won the Kisler Award for the best journeyman smith that entered the competition. 
Very nice young guy, uh, based in Canberra. Yeah, beautiful bloke, mate. Lovely guy. Yeah, what, like knowing knowing that he only started a few years ago, and where he's at now is just absolutely freaking amazing. He's well, he's one of those guys that we refer to as you bastard. You're very yeah. very talented, but yeah, he puts talented. the yards in. He, I prefer I prefer in, freak. Like, I prefer freak. Freak. Well, yeah, freaky bastard. Um, but you know his his work is just freaking next level. It's unreal, and you know all the best to him for what he's doing. I hope he goes a long way in in the knife making world. Um, I want to give a shout out to what? Who's your shout out? I'm going to give a shout out to a fellow called Richard Morgan, um, who is Heartland Forge online. Um, Richard has a tendency to do things late at night in his workshop. Um, it just happens to coincide with about the time that I generally get two or three red wines into me. And then when he throws up his live feed, I'm like normally one of a very few people um, involved in commenting on what he's doing. And uh, he, he, he likes it, I think. He puts up with me. What's so his I name? want to give What's a shout out again? to Richard. Richard Morgan. Richard Morgan. And he's from Heartland Forge. And he does some really cool leather work. And he also does... Um, a lot of hammers and axes and all that sort of stuff, but he's getting into knife making as well. So um, shout out to you, big fella. Um, I, I met him personally down at Melbourne um, and he didn't punch me in the face. So I think we'll get along pretty well. Heartland underscore forge. Yep, found him. Found him. And I'm following him now. So there you go. And <laughs> Jackson Rumble is Rumble Knives on Instagram. So you can follow him there. Okay. So for everyone at home... Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's been a, that, that, we'll call that a show. I've had enough of the antics going on on my screen here, and I'm sorry it's an in joke that you're not sharing with you, but um, you you probably don't want to see what I'm seeing anyway. I've got a picture up on the yeah. Facebook group of uh, of last week's um, antics, and uh, uh, we'll put an end to it. As I say, next performance review. This is no doubt all going to come up. Um, yeah. Well, what can people expect from us? Yeah, I'm going to get another photo. I'm just just stay there, you idiots. Fuck. Yeah, this one's going over onto onto Facebook and Instagram, and um, you'll 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 know it. Anyway, never mind. Thank you for listening to Knife Making Down Under podcast for another week, episode seven, or I think what we're on now. Scoop seven, seven, yeah. and uh, we really thank you for sharing your time with us and also if you wouldn't mind please uh very importantly um chucking up a uh a review for us on any of the podcast sites that you listen to you know you're welcome to welcome to say anything you like but just give us five five stars and and uh help other people find the podcast that'd be much appreciated thank you very much everyone thank you thanks everyone see you guys next week see you guys bye